1: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door
0: with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to A Real Man Wood Podcast. This is Chris Liss, your host, and I'm talking to my co-host Dalton Del Don of Yahoo Sports. What's up, man? What's going on? It's been a couple weeks.
1: Not much, Liz. You just fumbled the recording here, and I always feel so disingenuous re-recording the pod, but I went to the FSTA conference. Dude, don't fucking uh, tell sausage
0: is made, man. You fucking roll with the shit and don't do that shit. By the way, somebody called me. It's obviously a spam call. 95% of the calls I get on my phone, especially when I'm in Portugal, is spam, and if my phone's nearby, it rings on my computer. I don't know why it uh, derailed the recording, but it pisses me off, and don't fucking break character by referring to the fact that we had to start again. That's stupid. Oh,
1: oh well, I, I did. It's too late. Um, So, what, 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 want me to go over the FSTA conference again? There was a,
0: You missed it. Nah, it was, don't worry. It was. A, you didn't have anything interesting to say. You didn't do anything. You didn't do anything yeah. fun. Yeah, alright. Well, that was in you Tampa. Did you go to Mons Venus while you were in Tampa?
1: I did not, which I have now learned was a, a grave mistake in my... Uh, I, I just didn't know about it. Bill
0: Man goes to Mons Venus. I've never been to Mons Venus, but somebody told me And this is back in the day where I'd even consider going to a strip club, which right now I probably wouldn't. I'm way too much of a nutless monkey to go. But Mons Venus is supposedly the strip club. This is like 15, 20 years ago. Like, oh, dude, that's the craziest place ever. But I'm not the target audience anymore. But anyway, in any event, so you didn't go to Mons Venus.
1: I did not. I'm sure a lot of the members of the FSTA conference were there, but I was not among them. Uh, those nlms
0: uh, go there those nlms (coughs) that's different it's a corporate crowd now it's different
1: yes i know i was i was making a sarcastic joke ever since
0: since, like it became it's like criminalized now to do that shit you can't do that you can't get away with that yeah right
1: um yeah fsta conference whatever a lot of panels four nights is a long time i'm so old i'm basically jet lagged. the three hour time difference took me a week to recover um, and then I, um, I recently visited my my niece in UCSF uh, she had a kid um, I'm for the seventh time list at age 36 became a great uncle same parents and everything no halves or anything so that that's kind of crazy you wow. um, you met her older sister back in la years ago um, so yeah it's a premature baby and and, and wish her well in UCSF still it's been quite a few a few weeks now but doing better the breathing tube gone and I Got to visit her in person, so that was that was nice. And I found a place called the Farmhouse Kitchen Thai, which um, was close there, Michelin rated. It was a Thai place. I wouldn't say as good as Lotus of Siam, but definitely the second best Thai food I've ever had. They even served these crazy silkworms at the end of the meal, but that was legit. So if you're ever in the city, San Francisco, Farmhouse Kitchen Thai was 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 pretty good. But other than that, man, I, not not too too much has gone since we last talked. We took a, a brief hiatus last week from the pod. What about you, List? What, what, what's happening?
0: Uh, nothing's happened with me. I'm going to Rome next week. That's something I've been just chilling out. I don't know. What's the the
1: reason for the the Rome trip?
0: Well, so Heather's aunt, Heather has this, um, well to do aunt. She's the one with the uh, Malibu house that you stay with on the ocean. Uh, Yeah. And she, she's cool. You know, like she's having her pretty close and she likes to travel to Europe by herself and her husband still works a ton. And so she's always traveling around. She has friends all over. But when she goes to Europe, now that we're here, she lets us know. And she's like, oh, I'd love it if you met me in Europe. Like, I'll, I'll pay for the hotel. So all we have to do is get the flight. And, you know, in Europe, like, you can get, like, a 60-euro flight, 60 euros each. But, you know, whatever. It's like 200 bucks for the family. And we get to go to Rome for, like, five days. So, you know, I'll just take a Thursday off from the show. And it's kind of quiet in February after the Super Bowl. So I'm just going to go to Rome for a few days, hang out. So that's that's what we're doing.
1: Nice. Can't be that. Uh, Any else any uh, plans for the Super Bowl?
0: No, not really. I actually might even watch it on Rewind if it's too late. You know, I don't want to stay up all night like I did in Barcelona that year where I bet uh, the Falcons and I had the Falcons on a minus seven and a half alternate line at like two and a half to one or two point eight to one or whatever the odds were. And then I had to sit there with the headphones out in the hotel room with my family sleeping in the bed and watch the Patriots completely eviscerate the 28 to three lead and instead of being up like 1100 lose 600 so that i want to avoid that kind of situation in real time where i'm up at five o'clock in the morning enraged well barcelona is an hour later than lisbon so before in the morning enraged but i just don't want to deal with it so i may actually not watch it in real time i may just not know who won the super bowl and then just watch like the condensed 40 minute version the next morning monday
1: yeah, I mean, the commercials are so much longer and halftime so much longer. You probably will be better off. Uh, although this could be a good game since everyone's picking the Patriots. We might as well get to that now. I mean, it seems so obvious when the line came out to me. that it, it, Vegas Insider shows a pick them I, I saw a minus one right away. It seemed so obvious to me that, that line was just wrong by two or three points, and it's uh, gone to two and a half or three in most places, unsurprisingly. Um I don't know though, when 80% of the public is one way, I, I don't, I don't love it. And I, I I know I I get the feeling you're on the Rams, uh, right? Right list, why? Explain, explain well, why you're on the Rams when, when it's the Patriots and Belichick and it just
0: seems so obvious. Well, so in the staff picks, I'm the only one on the Rams, I'm the only one on the over. And I'm not hugely on the Rams, I'm not hugely on the over, it's by half a point. Everybody else is on pats in the under. And I, I'm glad about that because we've been so horrible in the playoffs as a staff. But my feeling is just that I kind of wanted to take the Patriots. I do think, you know, they going into Kansas city and winning that game was really big. You know, they didn't have any of the advantages they had against the Chargers, and yet they still won. And they just had a great game planning as the chiefs, but the chiefs are fucking idiots. I mean, some of the stuff they did just come on the Patriots longest play from scrimmage was a 30 yard screen pass to James White if you're not like completely stacking the line of scrimmage, and then Ted Bell showed a video of how they were on the line of scrimmage, but they still completed a 11-yard pass to Edelman anyway. It's like, yeah, if you execute perfectly, fine. You're going to beat any defense, but you're not going to execute perfectly every single time. You want to make the highest degree of difficulty possible for each play. And the Chiefs just like just fucking idiots. And they got shut out in the first half. I mean, they scored 31 points in the, sec- in the second half, and they still couldn't win the game. I mean – i don't know and andy Reid. I, I just it's like he's a good coach but just so much stuff you know so many times he's come close and failed for just stupid reasons like they should have scored in the first half they should have had a better game plan against the patriots they got the the time of possession was 44 minutes for the patriots and 20 for the chiefs it was ridiculous the patriots had 94 plays the chiefs had 44 I mean, you just let they just let the patriots play it on their terms they Deferred at the kickoff. They won the toss. They let the Patriots get the ball. They let them immediately start running clock and tiring out their defense. Totally dumb. It's just an idiotic game plan from the Chiefs. I think with two weeks, I'm not a huge McVay fan. I've been getting back and forth with Pino in the, uh, an email about, I think McVay is a good coach. I, I just don't think he's that much of a genius. He totally lost his nerve at the goal line. The Saints should have won the game because of it. McVay got bailed out by the bad non PI and McVay not running the ball. I mean, and uh, Peyton not running the ball, but, and, and then freaking uh, Zerline making unbelievable kicks with high pressure on him, but fine. I I, I think McVay's a little overrated, but he's a good schemer. He's going to have two weeks, and I think that the, the Rams defense has enough talent to slow down this bunch of, uh, with Wade Phillips as the defensive coordinator, slow down the Patriots kind of one-dimensional offense, and... I think the Rams are just slightly, at least equal, maybe slightly better. The the Patriots have a decent defense. I don't know. I think it's kind of a tough call. It's a close game, but give me the two and a half.
1: By the way, that was a fun way for me to lose <clears throat> my teaser in the championship games. After, you know, getting criticized for teasing through zero, having that matter in the Saints plus four, um, and then the the Chiefs in overtime getting plus four. The only way I lose that bet is if is if they lose the the toss because if they if they get the to- if they win the toss, it doesn't matter. You know the, the, the chances of, of the Patriots scoring right. a touchdown. You're not going right. to lose anyway. plus four.
0: You lose right. by three. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just
1: infuriating, but that's the way it goes. Whatever. The Patriots just dominated the, the Chargers. Yes, they had the advantages there. Went into KC and won, where this, the Rams kind of fizzled out in, in the second half of the year. Whatever. They won at home. You know, coming off a bye, they knew the the play calls against Dallas, and they right. just won in New Orleans against the Saints team that frankly wasn't playing very well. And, and and the Saints basically had their C game, I would say, and they had the helps of the refs. So Rams missing Cooper Cup, Todd Todd Gurley banged up, Greg the leg is injured as well. And that actually might even matter because the difference between C.J. Anderson and Gurley is receiving ability because the Pats' weakness is, <clears throat> has been to receiving backs this year. So I think that, that matters as well. So I, I do like their coaching staff, even though McVeigh... It's surprising that he didn't go for it on that that you know that fourth and one or whatever. But the, the defensive coordinator, the whole staff, top to bottom, is strong. But man, you always feel so dumb betting against Belichick. And if you can get less than three, give less than three. I'm just siding with the Patriots. But acknowledging that if the whole if the whole world's on this side, it often doesn't go that way.
0: Yeah, you know the the Patriots haven't done that well in Super Bowls. They're five and three, and the ones they won were pretty close. Eagles, Carolina. They, I mean, the first Eagles, Carolina, obviously they lost both the Giants. Those are close games. The win against Seattle was obviously if they handed off to Marshawn Lynch. they probably lose. The Atlanta game they had lost. Every Super Bowl has been super close, and the Rams game that they won obviously was incredibly close with Vinatieri hitting that field goal. My feeling on it is that maybe Belichick is just so much smarter than these guys, but give them two weeks and they kind of catch up. Like if there's one week to prepare, Belichick just – knows what to do immediately. Whereas you give even like an average coach two weeks, John Fox, Andy Reid is above average, but John Fox was the Carolina coach. And it gets a little bit closer. Tom Coughlin, there's just more time to figure out what to do. So that may just be a anecdotal thing, but it's been eight Super Bowls.
1: Neutral field versus most of the playoff games are at home. Maybe two, slightly different there
0: and a dome I think favors the finesse team. The Rams can do power football, but they're more of the finesse team. I think between the two of them, the Patriots are the power team. They run it. They, they're just more physical. So I think that favors the Rams, the, the dome and the turf. I just think it's a favorable setup for the Rams with two weeks dome and turf. Uh, they got to keep to lead back. So their secondary is much better than it played most of the year. They have the superstar pass rushers. They have, you know, an offensive scheme that's a little bit more versatile than the Patriots. The Patriots are probably a little deeper on offense. They have more players, but who's going to stretch the field? I think the big wild card is Gronk. I think that if the Rams decide to just totally police the line of scrimmage and bring the safeties up and stuff the run and make, you know, fine, Edelman catches the four-yard pass, but they tackle him right away and they're not letting him get nine or ten yards. Same with James White. I think that the Patriots are going to have to go vertical, and I'm not sure Hogan can beat – Talib or Marcus Peters one-on-one, I'm not sure. Philip Dorsett is that guy. I'm not sure Brady has the arm to hit these guys in stride anymore. But Gronk is the kind of wild card because if he's one-on-one because there's stuff in the line of scrimmage on a safety, Brady doesn't have to hit him in stride. He can just chuck it up in the air. And Brady knows what to do. He sees Gronk down there one-on-one with safety 30 yards down the field, throw it up, let him catch it.
1: Yeah, you know, um, originally I liked the, uh, the under – in this game, but the the more I think about it, both offensive lines have played so well. I mean, Brady hasn't taken a sack in the playoffs, and Kansas City had multiple sacks in every home game this year. And you just look at the Rams with their their running game, and they've kept protected Goff just as well as Brady. So in a dome, no no home crowd noise, maybe the over. I should I'm leaning more that way. Um, but yeah, offensive line has been a big part of the Ram success. So so I I, I could see it. Uh, I'd certainly like I said. I don't feel strongly, even though my initial instinct was, wow, that line is really short in the Pat side.
0: Yeah, my initial instinct was the Pats also. I just sort of thought about it for a bit. And th- it, it seems like they're the, you know, they're the underdog, and they've fought through this, and nobody believed in them, but now they're the favorite. They're literally the favorite, and as much as Brady acts like he's the underdog, and nobody believes in them, I think people do believe in them now, and they're getting full credit for it and they easily could have lost the the Chiefs game. Of course, the Rams could have lost the Saints game. The Rams were down like 13-0, and they came back, and they overcame a very hostile crowd, a tough environment, basically to win the game. And then uh, McVay bitched out on the goal line and gave Peyton a chance to win it with a field goal. And Peyton, you know, they should have won it, but they didn't call that play. So it is what it is. But the Rams really did overcome the initial surge from the Saints and the crowd. I thought that was... Pretty telling. It was a pretty good team. And I think that, you know, Michael Thomas, who lit them up the first game they played, did almost nothing. to Tlaib helped shut him down. I think it's a little bit different Rams team. I think they're almost back to what they were.
1: Did you like any prop bets or alternative lines? Alternate lines?
0: Um, I usually like to lay the, you know, if, if I like the Rams, then I'll lay like, you know, 14.5 with the Rams. I think 17.5 with the Rams is like plus 650 or plus 600. But it's like minus 900, plus 600. So it's a real big disparity. It's probably not the, not a great bet, but um, I, I would take something like that just for fun. You know, who knows? You know, these these games, these teams are evenly matched and they tend to be close games, but it's it's football. There's tons of variance. Of course, there could be a, a blowout one way or the other. I don't see it, but just because I don't see it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. So I think it's worth putting 100 bucks down at six, to, you know, getting six to one on a Rams minus 17 and a half or something.
1: Yeah. Hopefully it's an entertaining game. It has to be one of the higher over unders uh, for the Super Bowl in, in recent memory. Um you want you have anything else to talk about, uh football or you wanna to move to some some baseball talk? We haven't we haven't done any of that yet.
0: I can do a little baseball. I don't really I'm kinda of done you know, football, I, I wanna say like my instinct is to root for the Patriots. I wanna say this is the greatest dynasty of all time in any sport. There's been bigger oh, dynasties sure. and in basketball with the Celtics in the 60s. But, you know, there's, like, like how many teams were in the league? Yeah, like eight teams. Yeah, eight teams and the disparity in how they got players. You know, the Yankees had Mickey Mantle and Joe DiMaggio and all these guys they were able to get, which other teams didn't have a crack at. It wasn't, like, a fair way of distributing players. And, you know, NFL had uh, no free agency. And, you know, the salary cap thing was different. You know, in, in a salary cap league with free agents with 32 teams, I think the Patriots are by far the greatest dynasty of all time in any sport. In a a team, in a game where you need 22 players, not like NBA where you only need five on a court and two or three great players can be monstrous. So I think it's the greatest dynasty of all time. I think it's incredible that they're back in the Super Bowl. And I kind of want to root for them because I just think they're just, it's a level of excellence that is just not, you don't see that often. I mean, sometimes you see Roger Federer or Djokovic, you know, the all-time, all-time greats. And I tend to feel like at the end of the run, you want to root for them because at the beginning of the run, you, you hate them, but at the end of the run, you respect it. And McVeigh, just what a nutless monkey he was, not going for the touchdown and basically giving away the game. And they're not admitting after the game, saying, you know what? Yeah, I should have gone for it. That was a mistake. Acting like, yeah, we did what we had to do to win the game. Not even even a tiny acknowledgement like, yeah, that was a tough call. Maybe I made the wrong call, but I'm glad it worked out. That would have been a, a fine But to just completely act like that was the right call to kick the field goal down 2017 on the half yard line, five minutes left and the Saints should have won it. I don't respect that. So I kind of don't like the Rams. I think McVay is a good coach, but people shouldn't be filleting them the way they are. And I'm sort of rooting for the Patriots, but I won't be because I took the, because I took the Rams.
1: Yeah. I couldn't agree more about the, uh, the Patriots dynasty. And it's crazy to think of the different cast of characters throughout this whole, you know, this whole span, other than Brady and Belichick, just so many different iterations. Um, yeah, I mean, it'd be hard to argue of a better dynasty given all the, you know, the, the degrees of difficulty in which they're doing. Um, so, so baseball, I, I started a draft champions NFBC. Um, I just signed up. What was it yesterday? Just, just started. I, I, am picking at the turn with pick 15, And um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on baseball? I I went with um, Aaron Judge and Altuve with my picks here. Um, My general thought this year is basically I'm going to be the opposite as I have been in the past. And um, I've seen where baseball, I mean, we can see where baseball is going. The writing's on the wall. Um, I'm avoiding starting pitchers, basically the opposite of what I've done the last few years. Uh, What do you think, Liz?
0: I think you either avoid or you go big, one or the other. You don't like, I would either take two there or none probably. Yeah. because there's not going to be that many pitchers that get 200 innings, 200 Ks. It's just, it's just, we're going away from that. And if you can get Degrom Gram and sale there, okay, you've got a commodity that just cannot be replaced. But I, I don't know. I don't want to say never, but if you just took one of the two, then somebody gets a, a guy in the seventh round who ends up being one of those guys. And I don't know. I, I could see just kind of going big or or not at all. I think that I was talking to Jeff about this uh, on the radio and basically when a category gets scarce, it can go to two different categories. You can have a category that's so scarce like steals or saves or something where you're like, this is so scarce that I don't even need to invest in this because I can get this cheaply later and get enough of it to get a seven or an eight or a nine in the category without paying up for it. Whereas if a category is a little scarce, but not that scarce you might say well it's it's scarce but it's not so scarce and so if i don't you know i can't just get this late and get enough of it i need to really invest in this early otherwise i'm going to be behind in it and i'm going to get a three or four in it so you gotta you gotta decide what the scarcity level is is a scarcity level where it's so scarce that you actually don't even need it or it's a little scarce and therefore it's more valuable so that's that to me that's a huge question about all the categories. So do you think starting pitching is so scarce that you can just forget about it and get enough of it just randomly? Or is it just a little scarce and you and you actually getting a difference maker is just massive?
1: Yeah, so all three of those pitchers, DeGrom sure and are in sale, were gone, but um I don't want to
0: get too specific. Oh, they're all gone this, by the turn. Interesting.
1: Yeah, they were gone. Sale went fourteen. Um I DeGrom went 11th. I I just think in general, though, I am a void. Obviously, if you get if there's only two or three of these pitchers that put up the massive innings, getting one of those is more valuable than ever. I just think it's going to be tough to. It's not necessarily going to be the first two or three that do go. I'm not even going to attempt to pick which one of those. Uh, are going to try to guess which one they are. So I'm I'm not going to take starting pitchers this year at all in the first whatever 15 20 rounds or something. Um. So that's gonna be my strategy. Are you just gonna you know, go yeah.
0: rounds 21 to 30 for all your starting pitchers?
1: Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. So, something like that. We'll see how it go. How extreme. Maybe. Maybe it, it doesn't turn out that way. But that was my general thought. At least the first like 10 rounds or so for sure. That's 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 gonna be my I I do feel like that is the is the way to go throughout the year waiver wire too. I, I think pitchers emerge that you've never heard of with these crazy peripherals that you can point out and be like, wow, that is worth. Uh, very, you know, very interesting where this guy may not have been a prospect a year ago, but look at those peripherals. Whereas a hitter that that's far, far, it's less likely to pick out like, what are you going to look at their, uh, their exit velocity or something? Th- those don't emerge it's nearly the same as pitchers do.
0: Well, that's been totally the opposite in 2016, 2017. There were so many hitters that came out of the woodwork, Aaron Judge, Jonathan VR that year. Whit Merrifield. There were so many guys in every single category. They just went crazy. Remember that year in, in 2017, it was like Aaron Judge, Logan Morrison, Justin Smoke. All these guys were hitting 35, 40, 45, 50 home runs out of nowhere. And they were totally free, totally cheap. And there were very few pitchers that did that. And then suddenly last year, it got a little bit harder to find the hitters out of nowhere and a little bit easier to find the pitchers. But that was just last year.
1: Right.
0: But I don't think there's pitchers coming out of the woodwork to put up great numbers. Last year it was Blake Snell, Trevor Bauer, but those guys were going to the eighth, ninth round by the time the main event rent came around. It wasn't like you could just get Trevor Bauer, Blake Snell super late. So okay. you had to, you still had to pay up for those guys. And a lot of the guys in their range, or even the guys that went a little ahead of them, like Luis Castillo, total busts. Yep. You know, there was like Walker Bueller and a couple of guys that came out of nowhere that were pretty good. I mean, they weren't out of nowhere. They were prospects, but I don't think there was a lot of pitching that just came out of nowhere last year.
1: Yeah, I love Luis Castillo last year, and Luke Weaver was another guy right right around yeah, there. Yeah, Luke uh, Weaver. Yeah, I um, yeah, maybe I'm being totally just overly reactionary to the year before, but I also really, really worry that uh, the opener is be- going to become more and more a thing, and just starting pitcher is going to become more and more right. obsolete, and it's just going to become so, so, so a total wild circus. It's a wild, it's uh, a complete, t- total circus out there trying to figure out what, what's going to go on. So I just want to not have to worry about it.
0: Right, but let's say it's really hard to find that next tier because it gets thinned out with the openers and people pitching 160 innings and six-man rotations. But you got Sale and Verlander with your first two picks, so you got 400 innings of 500 strikeouts, and everybody else is just scrambling to get one one kind of guy like that. Right, waiver capital, years. whatever. So you're a little behind on the hitting, but you're like the hitting is obvious the hitting is guys with full time jobs and you spend the next 6 picks on hitting you get your your numbers collectively and they are scrambling for that kind of pitching what do you think? Right.
1: Yeah, I um, completely agree with you. If you could bank in those innings and those strikeouts, I'd take them maybe number one and number two, those players that you just mentioned. I just think there's a big concern with whatever, Scherzer's age, Chris Sale was injured last year, and Verlander's age. I mean, yes, if you get those guys, they're, they're most valuable commodities. If you do get those starters that throw 200 innings, okay, so 200 I, I just
0: just I, I ran the bat numbers and the steamer numbers, and they both have like – Actually, the the back when I re-ran it properly with the with the relievers out, um, it had Trout number one, but it had degra- uh Sale number two, and ground degra- right. number three.
1: True, totally overall. makes sense. Yep, makes total sense. And, right. and same yeah. with
0: Steamer. So, yep. so you're saying, well, you know, the, the pitchers are a risk. You know, we don't know, but those are projections. Those aren't upside projections. Those are actual. Proje- those aren't predictions. Those are projections. Uh-huh. Those are algorithmic projections of the pitchers. Being worth as much as any hitter in the game. So you're saying yeah. like, oh well, you know, you can't count on the pitcher, but it's like these aren't the real man take-a-risk projections. These are the algorithmic steamer and bat projections.
1: Right. I guess partially if like if I don't wanna if I kinda wanna avoid that risk also, or or the uncertainty, I should say, in the rounds two, three, four, five, and six. I guess maybe that means I should, I shouldn't disregard those three is what you're saying. If you try to still get one of those aces, doesn't matter my strategy, starting pitchers after, you know, rounds two through 10, you know, I guess, I guess that, that makes some sense.
0: Well, I I guess what I'm saying is like, you know, I I think that those top pitchers are the least risky among the pitchers. Yeah. yeah. Right. So you may get zero out of your like sixth round pick if you're taking James Paxton or taking whoever. But if you took like, let's say, you know, sale Degrom and Scherzer were gone at, at the turn. Okay, fine, I'll take you know, Verlander and Severino, Verlander and Snell, whoever, whoever it is you like. They may not be worth it because actually Steamer and the bat have those guys substantially lower than Scherzer Sale and and, and uh, DeGrom. But I
1: love I love Severino. Is. Support for this podcast comes from US Bank. When you're looking for a credit card, get one that wins awards. The U.S. Bank Visa Platinum card is NerdWallet's 2021 Best of Awards winner for Best 0% Intro APR and Balance Transfer credit card. It provides a great way to pay for large purchases over time as well as consolidating other card balances. And speaking of award winners, the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card is NerdWallet's 2021 Best Credit Card for Dining Out or Ordering In. Earn 4 times points on takeout, food delivery, and dining. Get 2 times points at gas stations, grocery stores, and on streaming. If you're into cashback or travel rewards, U.S. Bank has credit cards that feature those benefits, too. Check out their full suite of credit cards at usbank.com slash credit card. The creditor and issuer of these cards is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc., and the cards are available to United States residents only. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC.
0: I love Severino this year, too. If you're at the back of the draft and you don't take a picture or two at that turn... You're not getting the guys 3-4 the 15 team. You're not getting Severino or Bauer or Snell. Those guys are all gone. You're looking at Strasburg. You're not even getting Syndergaard at that turn. So then you're probably just taking four hitters. I mean, if I don't take a pitcher in the the back end of the first round, I could see myself not doing it. But if I don't do it, then I'm like, okay, rounds five through ten, I'm going to take like four or five pitchers and just hope two of them pan out.
1: Well, we're going to see how this goes because my plan as of now is to not take a starting pitcher for at least the first ten rounds, at least. So we're going to see. I Probably will fail. spectacularly, but but that's definitely what I'm going to do this fantasy baseball season. At least ten, maybe more. Maybe first half. I'm not going
0: to take this. And I'm that not makes saying really want to take a lot of pitching early. I'm not saying re-
1: relief And okay, let's talk about relievers now because that that's a whole that's a similar vein here. I really, really would love one of these elite guys to have because I want nothing to do with relief pitchers 10 through t- 30 being drafted, because that's just a total nightmare.
0: See, I'm the opposite. I want to take a couple of ace starters, a lot of hitting, and then make my saves in 11 through 20, because I feel like, okay, so I'll take three closers 11 through 20, and one of them will pan out, hopefully, for 35 saves. One of them, give me 15, and then I'll scramble for the rest. And you don't need as many as you used to. And I don't want to pay premium picks on that. I need the aces that are scarce, four categories and i need the hitting because you always need the hitting and then i'll roll the dice elsewhere
1: yeah i'm not gonna fault you for trying to get one of those three aces because i mean man they could be super valuable as i acknowledge and agree with the the steamer um, projections and the bat but um it sounds like we're basically having opposite uh, strategies entering the year so it's probably good news for you I, i did not have a great fantasy baseball season season long last year season long i did not but partially i didn't have a great season either yeah, partially. I I just swore it. it had to do with um the the more so the the strategy. I, I obviously I picked the wrong players. Don't get me wrong, but I, I said I said this to myself midsummer last year. I was going to do this. So we'll, we'll see how it goes.
0: In, the, in labor, and I was there with you, or I was advising you. Yeah. And you were you got Syndergaard, Kershaw, Jansen, and Strasburg, and they all that was bad. But it had you gotten Scherzer, Degrom. You know, in the NL, sure it was an NL only like Scherzer, Degrom. There's really no who's the closer, who's the obvious closer that went crazy. I can't think of it. But anyway, if you had Scherzer and Degrom instead of Strasburg and Kershaw, you would have been a million bucks. You would have been like, oh, this team's crushing it. You just got the wrong pitchers. And okay, well Kershaw. Syndergaard seemed great last year when you got him. And <laughs> Strasburg, so funny. Those are the three guys. That so team probably finished last. That Second like, to last. What a Second disaster. To Second to last. Second to last. What a disaster. Uh, but the point I'm is, like, you... I'm you avoiding last. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> I know. You should, you should be. Uh, I don't know. Somehow, in, uh, in AL Tout, I got Sale. I guess Sale got hurt. But I had, like, Sale and Kluber. And then I got, like, Tyler Skaggs and Andrew Heaney. I got all these great pitchers. And somehow, I finished, like below the midpoint, even though I guess my hitting sucks. but uh, my, my point is just that you can't fault your strategy just based on the results. You can't be like, oh, I got to ditch the strategy. It didn't work out.
1: Oh, no, because, no. But let's be clear. I, I've been very, very starting pitcher heavy, far more than most in the industry for a good five, six years now. So I'm just trying to switch it up. You know, I have done that. I've been very extreme and the friends and family, all those, I've been very starting pitchers. So I'm not just doing it based on results one year. That, that, that I'm, this might be wrong, but that's not my reason.
0: Just, promise. You're saying you, you had a sustained failure that's making a yeah, switch. But, uh,
1: there was, no, there was some success mixed in, but at least strategically I've kept that consistent the last, you know, four or five years for sure. I was starting so pitchy heavy.
0: The, the difficult thing, the difficult thing about this is if you have a strategy that one out of six years wins the league and like gives you an excellent, excellent chance to win the league, but five out of six years, not only do you not win the league, but you're in the bottom third. You may think that it's been a failure because you're in the bottom third, but it's still a good strategy in a 12 team league of experts. So, like, you know, it's like doing DFS tournaments. If you do a DFS tournament and you put in a crazy lineup and you finish, you know, the bottom 10%, you're like, that was a terrible lineup. But it might have been a great lineup because it might have been so unique that had things panned out, you might have won, you might have had a chance to win the tournament. Whereas if you had a lineup that, like, just missed cashing, Maybe had things changed broken your way, it would have cashed or cashed for a little bit more than the minimum. But it was one of those chalk lineups that was either going to just miss or just cash, and that was sort of the the range of it. Whereas your shitty lineup that completely lost money and was in the bottom of the pack was either was going to lose nine times out of ten, but one time out of ten or one time out of fifty was going to win the whole thing and pay five hundred to one or thousand to one or ten thousand to one. So you look at your you know your your lineup that finished terribly, and so you're gonna year after year, lineup after lineup, you're gonna say, ah, this was shit. This was shit. This is not a good strategy. But it was a great strategy. It's just that it's over the long haul is a great strategy. And so, you know, it's very hard to judge y- your methodology based on a few seasons. It's just it's, it's basically impossible.
1: Yeah. No, no. no. <laughs> That's completely fair. And and, and who knows? Um, yes, I, I do not know. It all comes down to.
0: Drafting. If you believed so, in your reasoning, the right then, you should stick drafting, with it.
1: No, no. See, so that's what I'm trying to tell you. So drafting the right players is ultimately what matters. But I am not just doing this because of, of, of failure last year or whatever. I'm doing this because I think the league is changing and I'm trying to be ahead of it. So um, that that, that is, that's a decision I made in the middle of last year, like I said. And it's, it's not in in reaction to my results. It's in reaction to where I think baseball is headed.
0: Where is baseball headed? You tell me.
1: Starting pitchers are just going to be, it's going to be tougher and tougher to have that ace and to pick which one. And and did you, the, I really, I would love to see a study as far as how saves were dispersed last year and how many came in to the league. And I think more and more, as far as starters, openers are going to become more and more of a thing. And the win is going to become more and more just ridiculously tough. To predict. And uh, I don't know if it is players throwing harder or whatever it is. It seems like to me or the 10 day DL it seems like to me they, they get injured more. And I used to argue the opposite as far as not worrying about starting pitchers. But it certainly seems like the risk is greater, although hitters are going down like flies, too. Maybe that's just a baseball culture. So I don't know about that. But I think. Loading up on on I mean this is hardly a crazy concept I mean whatever Sp- everyone spends 70% of their budget on, on hitting I just think I'm just going to take that to a drastic level and put all my capital because I don't I think it's 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 crazy trying to 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 say all these pitchers in the same tier it's just I don't know wild card which one's going to go down they're they're just doing an act that's very different than the hitters I mean they're throwing a baseball that's just it's just simply it's it's different they're they're at far greater risk going down.
0: I guess here's the case. Let's say pitchers were totally random. Like there was, there was literally zero correlation between past performance and future performance. Well, then, even though pitching is worth half your points, there's no point in taking one early because an early one's no better than a late one. We have no idea who's going to do well. So, to the extent that predictability among pitching tends towards zero, you want to wait on pitching. Not because it's not important, but because it's not predictable. He could be incredibly important, but there's nothing you can do about it, so you may as well take whoever's left over, and you'll have just as good a chance as the ones that people chose. I get it. But let's say a certain subset of pitchers are predictable, and fewer and fewer of them after that are predictable, or the extent of the predictability declines as as you go deeper into the draft. Then it would be kind of the opposite, right? Then only the top guys would be worth a lot. And everybody else is just kind of throwing darts. So you'd want to take some in the first couple rounds, and you wouldn't want to take them again until the twentieth round.
1: One other thing that I did not articulate well that I want to to reiterate is I I think it's easier to find free agent pitchers in the sense that uh, yes, everyone knows the advanced stats these days. Don't don't get me wrong. And just looking at ERA, but I think it's easier to look at peripherals and, and target that position of someone who's maybe been quote unquote unlucky or whatever than I do. Then say like a batter. I think it's easier to to look at the peripherals of a pitcher on the free agent market, a starting pitcher that emerges or or a pitcher that's just whatever. I, that, that is my
0: easier for everybody
1: or uh, maybe it's just my, I don't want to say, if I say myself then it seems like I have a better skill at it, but so I don't think It's easier for everybody then. Right, right, right. It's easier
0: for you. It's easier for everybody.
1: Okay. All right. Okay.
0: So then, so then it's more obvious which pitchers you should pick up. Then there's more people interested in the exact same pitcher you are.
1: Right. So my anecdotal evidence, I am saying that I've found those easier to, for myself to identify and grab. You're, maybe it is. Yes, they are available for everyone. But that is the reasoning in which I am uh, using all my capital in the beginning at, at hitters. I think I can identify pitchers better in the free agent pool than I can hitters. Maybe that's just my own quirk or it's everyone can do it. And I'm an maybe
0: maybe you, maybe you only identify pitching equal to everybody else, but you're deficient identifying hitting there's so a better speaking, way of
1: me putting it yes yes exactly yes
0: that's so true. relatively speaking you're better off gambling at random on the pitchers with everyone else than being in an actual deficit to everybody else yeah, yeah yeah
1: no we'll see so i don't i don't know maybe i'm clearly not um i don't know i'm not winning you over with this strategy but i like exactly. that it's exact, no, I'm not, of the exact, exact opposite of what i don't know that you're
0: doing i don't too. know that you're wrong i just don't know that i've seen a basis for you being the right basis i mean in which could be right crack. Right, right, okay. You could be right. I mean, uh, you know, I don't know. The macro environment in which we're playing is obviously quite important, and it changes year to year, and it may stay constant for three years and then abruptly switch a fourth year, and it's just very hard to predict. And if you're ahead of that, if you actually get it right, whether by luck or because you realize something early, you have a huge advantage. If, you know, you knew that the home runs were going to explode in 2017, that would be a big advantage. If you knew that the pitching would be, you know, monstrously good next year or monstrously bad next year, that would also be an advantage. We don't know which way it's going. We know what's happened. We know trends, but we don't really know what it means. There's two things. It's which way is it going? And then, okay, assuming you even knew where it was going, would you know how to draft properly?
1: Right. So, so that was, that was my plan um, all along. I'm just remembering now I was reading the Bill James handbook on that, the flight to Tampa and I remember he put this kind of differently, but maybe saying something in the same way that I'm trying to, is that throughout the past history, uh, you know, back in the day, NFL uh, players, teams used to play both ways. Uh, the NBA, the five best players on the team would play until they fouled out. But as we've advanced, you know, we the, the specialists have emerged, and and more and more it goes that way. You know, no one plays, you know, more. It's this is as we've evolved, it's becoming more and more specialized. Obviously with baseball and I think it might be that way with pitchers and these guys throwing six innings might just not really exist as much anymore. Well, maybe I'm way wrong on that.
0: No, it could be. Um, I think we're in transition phase where the the top guys who do are still going to be crazy valuable.
1: Yeah. Well, that's all, anyway. I, that's all I got for, for baseball, but um, we'll see how that goes. But I, I definitely got to stick with this now after me talking, you know, talking about this, I guess I got to stick with it. So we'll see how that goes. I'll let you know.
0: You'll bail. You'll bail when the first draft starts. You know when the, when the bullets start flying.
1: <laughs> no, I'll, I'll stick with it, even though it'll probably be to my detriment. Don't have much else for you, Liz. I got my ten year wedding anniversary coming up on Tuesday.
0: Ten um, years. You're not young yeah. enough to have a ten year wedding anniversary.
1: Can you believe that, man? And I was with her like ah. before that. I know it's just it's crazy. Ten years. I know. Wild. You're like so, an
0: incredibly uh, poor man's Kobe Bryant. You know he he married his wife at 24. Then he got rich and famous. And they started cheating because, I mean, what could he do? He was like, had so many women after him that, you know, he had to avail avail himself of some possibilities and he got that, busted. It was that terrible.
1: Apology, that apology ring, I don't know if I can afford that apology ring he got. Yeah.
0: You're, well, you're a poor man's Kobe. So, like, you're not, you know, you don't have the, the options he had. You don't have the money to buy your way out of it. But when you get married too young, it's not an issue for you because there's no one interested in you. So you don't have to worry about it. But it's just like, wow, 10 years. That's a long time. Yeah, for a right, person man.
1: I had a high school girlfriend, uh, you know, throughout what freshman year of college, then got single for about three months and then have been with my wife ever since the last fifth, what, 20 years of my life. I've been single two months because no girl can stay away, man. I think mean, you got it off. Like, <laughs> You're yeah, a serial yeah. monogamous.
0: Yeah, exactly. just you have, you have, uh, abandonment issues and you can't uh, be on your own. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah. That's, that's the other way of looking at it. Uh, you got any politics for me? Cause I just curious uh, thoughts on Bernie running again and, uh, uh, her, you're, you, you do some tweets on Harris and, and the Gabbard. I saw the New York Times difference. I definitely want to hear your thoughts on Harris and Bernie. That's that's basically my main question for you this week.
0: So Bernie's really old, but I'm I'm with what he's doing. I, I think that what's actually happening in American society is you have the oligarchs who have basically siphoned away money from the middle class. And the way they did that is through monopolies and also through uh, quantitative easing and that's basically just saying like they got the Fed to lower interest rates incredibly low and print money. So you know the, your money's super cheap. You know the interest rate three percent, two percent, one and a half percent. It's super cheap to borrow money. And when they print all this money and issue all these bonds at these really low rates, all that money flowed into it, it was basically a response to the the crash in two thousand and eight. All the money flowed into assets, so real estate. You know, if you owned a house in 2008 and after the crash, and you own it now, it's twice as valuable. So all the money went into housing, went into the stock market, went crazy since 2008. And education. You know, the rich boomers pay for their grandkids' education. College education has gone, ridiculously high. And healthcare. Those four things: healthcare, education, housing prices, and stock market have gone crazy since the crash. The the inflation on normal stuff like food and transportation is is more muted. And I think some of the inflation has been sort of hidden because like technology has made large screen TVs cheaper and computers, but it's, we can't really see it as much. It should be much cheaper, but it's kind of stayed the same. So basically the rich got all of the gains because all the, all the money went into assets and only the rich have assets. You know, regular people working don't have assets. So if you make 20 bucks an hour in 2008 and a house is in your neighborhood is 400,000, so you need to work X hours to get a house, but now that house is eight hundred thousand. You're making twenty two bucks an hour, and you're much farther from buying a house than you were in two thousand eight. So you see how that's basically robbed. It's robbed the middle class. It's robbed the working class because their wages are further from buying the assets that the rich have. You understand how that works? Okay. All right. Makes sense to you? Makes sense. Yeah, it makes if sense. You're, if you're making twenty an hour and the house is four hundred thousand. 10 years ago, and now you're making 22 or 25 an hour, but it has 800,000, you make less money True. relative yeah. to the property. Makes far, sense, right? Far less. So, far less. Yeah. so, but it's not obvious, you know, just in life. So there was this massive transfer of wealth from the middle class, the wage earners to the asset class, the rich people. That's what happened. Okay. And now the inequality is at levels that we haven't seen since the great depression, all the, all the money's in the rich. And in my opinion, what the Democratic Party, the mainstream, is trying to do is partner the rich, people with all the money, and then some identity politics, you know, uh, different people of races and women and you know, gay people. And, and just get them all together and say, okay, between that coalition, between all those people and the rich and the people who sort mm-hmm. of just go along with the party line, we have enough people to win. And we'll say the people that say, look, this isn't fair, man. Like, like we can't live our lives. Like, lifespans are shortening uh, in America among the middle class. The middle class is being eviscerated. Towns are being cleared out. All this stuff's happening. Those people are angry. And, you know, obviously some of them are racist. Some of them are sexist. Some of them are whatever. There's always a portion of people are like that. But they're basically pitting people of of certain races and certain – you know, minority are discriminated against classes historically against the the people who are like, hey, you know, where's all our money gone? Like we're we're being disenfranchised. And Bernie's basically saying, no, 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 you guys have the wrong team. You guys are on the wrong teams. You guys who had your money taken from you, your wage earners, you're all on the same team, whether you're black or white or Hispanic or gay or female, you've been exploited. And you need to band together as people and say, no, we're not going to stand for this. This is a huge transfer of wealth to the rich. It's not sustainable. We're not happy about it. Healthcare has gone up. Everything's gone up. We're further away from having a secure future. Education's too expensive. We're in debt. It's terrible. And he's trying to band those people together, saying, like, "Hey, the real enemy is the oligarchs with all the money." But the mainstream Democratic Party is trying to say, "No, no, no, no. We don't want uh, minorities and the middle-class white people, workers on that side of it, to band together. We want to make those people enemies." And just peel off some of them to the oligarchs and and basically have enough votes to keep this going. And so you, that's the battle, right? You have like the Bernie Sanders wing, the AOC wing, and I think they see what's going on. And then you have the Kamala Harris wing that's like basically the oligarchs appoint someone like that. They have the right appearance, the right identity credentials, and then they – hopefully can peel enough of the people who identify with them to go with the oligarchs and demonize. Oh, these middle-class people, they're racist. They, they just want it to be like it was. So that's the battle in my opinion. And of course I'm rooting for the people that are like, no, we're, we're, we're all in this together. The enemy is the people who siphon the wealth away. Obviously no, let's not divide one another and, you know, see each other as enemies. To me, that's the that's the right answer. That's that's the Bernie thing, and that's the battle. That's the battle of the Democratic Party right now.
1: Well, speaking of wealth distribution, I just read that one percent of the world makes thirty-four thousand a year. One percent of the world's population.
0: I mean, that's that's kind of crazy. Well, you're counting like third world countries and like China and India and. The, yeah, the, the billions world, and billions. The yeah, well the U.S. No. obviously is a wealthy country now. It's not thirty-four thousand a year in the U.S. is is not enough if you have a family. It's obviously not enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you know, know that's who's gonna kinda, win this I battle. like those stats because they'll be like, oh, well you're you're know, you're doing fine. You know, you're you're in the top. It's like no, I can't. If I get sick, I'm I'm screwed. I'll lose my house. I'll be home. You know, what I mean, no. it's yeah. not enough money. So to who's me, gonna, that's kind of you? a.
1: No, I understand. This is just whatever. It's, I understand it's like misleading to us. I don't
0: even know if it's the true stat. I mean, Where'd you get that stat, anyway?
1: Rogan's podcast. I think it's true. He, he's a, he's pretty into that shit. It was like, like some some guy on was so but yeah. Okay. I, like anything I say, take it with a huge grain of salt though, and, and you know, and definitely look it up yourself. But um, yeah. but who's gonna win the debate then? Or the,
0: that battle, sorry, not debate, the battle. You said that's what's yeah, going the, on. To me, I, I you know, I agree with one side. I think that the the populists are going to win. I, I mean, I, I they may cheat. I mean, the, the DNC does not. They just have no. The Wall Street owns the DNC. The military industrial complex owns the DNC. So the Democrat they, they just cannot nominate Bernie, Elizabeth Warren, AOC's too yeah. young. But I yeah. endorse Bernie or Warren, whichever one you know seems to be the front runner, and. Kamala Harris is the one they want. They would probably take Beto or some other figurehead that's just going to do what they want. Who's going to win? Uh, it, it's it's going to be a battle of messaging. I think with social media and stuff, people don't really believe the mainstream anymore. But I don't know. There's some stupid people out there. And, and, and you know, I'm a I believe in capitalism. I think that you know we should have competition, but you you don't really have ca- We have crony capitalism where you know a company gets to a certain size and they start to bribe congress to make the rules dig a moat around it make it hard to compete i mean that that's that's kind of the problem it's not capitalism it's crony capitalism and it, it's basically what makes it impossible for people to compete and it makes it you know where these these companies and the rich make policy for the government it's it's government business partnerships that steal from the common person And i think the common people of regardless of what race or gender or sexual orientation they are should you know realize they have they have common cause and not to be like you're a racist and you're this and that's to me like yeah there's some racism and there's that's all real but let's you know let's not overstate the case let's not say that you know just like i felt like the right wing wanted you to think isis was like gonna knock down your door at any moment you know five years oh isis i gotta be scared about isis in my daily life you know they want um people you know, who are minorities to be scared of Nazis. Every, oh, a Nazi might come into my house any day now. You know, that's, that's something I need to be worried about. And I think both of those things are just fears that keep people from actually connecting with the people with whom they have the most common interest. And that's not along racial lines. That's along economic and just, you know, we're all human beings like trying to live our lives and, and they're trying to divide us so that we cannot unite and be like no screw this man this is just not a it's a ridiculous system and we're going to fix this makes sense Liz.
1: thanks uh, appreciate the the insight is always um it's so tough right now just like trying to figure out what to believe and not believe that the new york times thing you know do you, you know what i'm talking about that tweet where it <coughs> pointed out the difference you know basically it just showed you who they they want you to vote for basically just just the description of. Uh, between Harris right. and Gabbard,
0: you know? I love Tulsi Gabbard. I mean, I don't love her. I don't, I, that's, that's probably being a little oh, yeah. credulous. Someone brought I mean, up,
1: someone brought up uh, some some stuff on, on Twitter, listening to this pod about her to you, I saw.
0: Oh, oh, oh there's a guy that said, isn't she anti-Muslim? And he seemed, I think he was a Muslim. He said, because she, I can't remember exactly what it was she did, but I was like, even if those comments were true, and, and maybe they were, he cited some things. she said, I don't, I don't think those make her anti-Muslim. And he was like, "Fair enough, they're not, you know." And he said, "But it just was enough to sour him on on her." And that's fair. I mean, you know, yeah. if something sours you on a candidate, don't vote for them. I mean, you know, you you don't you don't owe anyone your vote. You make sure that they're they're articulating what you want, and don't be generous to them. They they need to earn your vote. If they don't earn your vote for whatever reason. Don't vote for them. I mean, honestly. I shouldn't say I love her. I mean, I, I like the fact that she's independent, but that's credulous. You know, I would have said in 2008, oh, I love Obama. And I feel like I was dead wrong on that. So you don't want to get caught up in the image of a person or the fact they're independent or whatever. So I shouldn't say that. That's my right. prejudice saying I, 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 you know, I think she's just like so much more appealing than these like corporatist candidates. But I shouldn't say that. And, um, but, but the thing you referred to is uh, Kamala Harris. Being described by the New York Times as a you know, like someone who would be like a, I can't remember, but like a, you know, a complete game changer, a new face and a new, you know, whatever. And then Tulsi Gabbard being like an Assad apologist, but it was like, wait, these are both minority women. Yeah. They would both like be like a trailblazer, a, huge, like a trailblazer, a trailblazer. Right? They'd yeah. both be huge glass ceiling breakers. They'd be, both be yeah. completely, you know, a new thing in American politics if they were president. But one was described as that. The other was described as some sort of cretin. Yeah. And it just shows you, like, how, you know, the establishment's thinking. They're already, like, trying to get rid of one of them and not the other. And basically, you know, it, in my opinion, if you're acceptable to the Democratic establishment, that means that Wall Street and the military-industrial complex has vetted you. And you're almost by definition not a legitimate human being to run the thing. And and Kamala Harris has so many horrible things. I mean, she, like, totally went soft on Trump's uh, Secretary of the Treasury, Steve Nuncheon, who defrauded all these homeowners, her, her staff recommended that she prosecute, and she gave him a sweetheart deal. Totally backed off, and then she viciously prosecuted, uh, you know, black people. And I don't know if they're only black people, but people certainly included them that were based on their DNA. That you know, the, the trial was flawed. The evidence had a was was like this. This person who was uh, an investigator that did the DNA samples, who was crooked, and they figured out that she was crooked, and never she never like. Gave exculpatory evidence. I mean, she was really vicious on the people that had the least power. She was prosecuting uh, parent, poor parents and their children for truancy, meaning they didn't show up to school. Um, she was just vicious to the the most powerless people, and just uh and didn't go after the guy who was the powerful person. And it just shows who she is. And so I would I would never vote for her. You know, even if she were running against Trump, I would just stay out of it. I would never vote for her. Interesting.
1: What about that Howard Schultz, the, see, the Starbucks guy, maybe run as an What a
0: clown! What a clown! <laughs> what, a, what a total clown! What, what a fraud! Thornberry, okay, who's who's been a lifelong Republican. Mm-hmm. He, he, uh, really
1: Thorn's a Republican, really?
0: Yeah, you know that, right? Thornberry, I should, okay. I, I just I let him speak it for joke, himself. Yeah. But yeah. lifelong Republican Howard Schultz, you know, moved the Sonics to Oklahoma City, and someone asked, "Who would you vote for if it was Schultz versus Hillary in the in the election?" He said, "I'd volunteer for the Hillary campaign." Oh man! So and, and Schultz just seems like such a nutless monkey. I mean, just embarrassing. He's running because AOC floated the uh, 70% tax rate on billionaires. I don't agree with AOC's politics. You know, I agree with some of them, not all of them. But I think I think she's a a good a, a powerful force, mostly for the good. Even if I don't agree with her, I'm glad I'm glad she's in Congress. She's putting the fear of God into those nutless monkeys who are just trying to further the corporate state so i'm glad she's there
1: no question all right Liz, that's enough politics um hopefully this recorded somewhat but uh good stuff and good to be back podding with you and hopefully it's an entertaining super bowl and uh it's hilarious that you're not even gonna watch
0: it live no i'm not gonna watch it live all right man send me the uh send me the thing cool we'll do man later Liz. all right if you guys like this podcast you can rate it on itunes you can also subscribe to roto or rotowire.com slash pod